Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for July 19th, 2020. Oyoko Bosa here. So very, very glad you joined us. Yes, indeed. Well, what's going on at our place the last few days is Adrian's sister, uh, Amy, from the Bay Area, is uh, visiting us. And one of their projects is um, to go through some of the stored boxes that we have here from for, uh, for, from Adrian's parents. Uh, you know, they've, they've passed away some years ago, but um, we have stored a lot of... Uh, <clears throat> Um, their personal effects and uh, old photographs and papers and uh, this is a a kind of situation that I think just about all families have where one's uh, parents as as one generation gets older well every generation says well we, we should take care of our you know, paperwork and everything that's piled up over so many decades and everything, but rarely <laughs> do we get around to it, and our children have to uh, sort through them later on after we're gone. So we set up some tables uh, in the our living room, folding tables, and we got these old boxes out. And they're going through, um, and I would imagine it's kind of a uh, particular kind of experience when you look at your uh, parents' papers. You see you have uh, images perhaps flash through your mind, old memories, uh, times when when you were a child growing up, and maybe you might learn things about your your parents that you didn't realize that 
they did this or went through this and stuff like that. But for sure, um, at some level, it gives one pause about the inevitable turning of time, the clock, and generations, you know, they're all lined up, and uh, the next generations are always moving forward, okay? And uh, we've done this. I think every generation at some point uh, does this. Um, I think there's a lot of Dharma, Dharma teachings uh, when we think about um, the waves of generations and um, uh, you can imagine the kind of um, memories and thoughts okay? uh, not only personal ones about your own family, your parents grandparents and so forth or maybe you get some insights into oh uh, now I realize what they they, they they went through or now that I'm at all of a such and such an age then I can better empathize with my parents generation and or some of the specific things that they went through and this is uh, very well I don't know what to say healthy um, to get a perspective we might call it takkan and takkan is a Japanese term t-a-k-k-a-n takkan which means a broad perspective or a philosophical perspective hmm? and uh, once in a while uh, this, this is it's good to well, it's kind of interesting where um, my father wrote a book in Japanese, uh, you know, during his career as a minister. And, uh, of course, he wrote Everyday Sustenance in the Center Within. But he also wrote one on um, uh, in Japanese. Now, uh, he establishes Buddhist Temple Chicago in 1944, and every month they had their bulletin, their temple bulletin. And um, essentially he was the editor, and he would write an article, cover article, in English. And back in those days... Uh, <clears throat> Most temples and the minister, they had a section also in Japanese because there was still a lot of what we call the Issei, or first generation, uh, that were Japanese speaking as their, you know, first language. Uh, these, in fact, were the founders of temples in America and so forth. Okay, They were immigrants who were born in Japan and they came over through the United States when they were young adults. 
So the ministers, uh, many of their bulletins had were in both, had an English and Japanese section. And uh, uh, so some of, uh, some compilation of these articles were done and then published in book form. So some of the articles that were written in Japanese for the Buddhist Temple Chicago's monthly bulletin written by my father were in Japanese. And there was um, a family friend who uh, were from Japan and they were great admirers of my father and um, and they took on a task of translating his uh, uh, Japanese articles that were in and that had collected over the years from the monthly bulletin. And in one of his articles, I guess he had used the word Takan. And uh, so these translators were they were bilingual, but you know Japanese was their first language. And uh, they were consulting with me and said, well, with this word Takan. And so I would ask somebody that I knew from my congregation at the Buddhist Temple Chicago who were bilingual, well, what's the best uh, translation of this word Takan? And uh, I said, oh, I'm talking about this and this. And then I remember there was one phrase from a person that said, oh, Takan means, you know, philosophical, uh, broad perspective. And they said, Takan uh, is the gateway to Satori. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Uh, That's the gateway to Satori, to enlightenment. Uh, and after that, because of this, you know, short focus and highlighting on that particular word, I remember that word and it's been a very a meaningful, influential word for me, Takan. And um, uh, I think we get this kind of a Takan experience when we uh, reflect on our parents' lives. And uh, it's healthy. It should be a part of the spiritual tools that we have in our spiritual toolkit. Huh? Uh, very valuable. Uh, again, this echo because I think Adrian's listening to uh, the show on her phone and she's usually in another room, but she's walking around. And so I hear my voice coming from her phone. <laughs> So she's walked away and she's going back into the back bedroom so that I don't hear myself echoing. But, uh, okay. Takan. And uh, the older we get, I think the more opportunity we have to utilize the... Uh, uh, good teaching of a gateway to satori, self-reflection, introspection. When we think about different religions or approaches, personal growth, aspects of things, you know, um, 
what are the spiritual tools that are involved that, that, that this approach can offer us? And when we think about spiritual, people's spiritual journey, their personal spiritual growth, Takan uh, is the Buddhist modus operandi. Huh? It's not praying to a deity. Okay? It's genuine, deep self-introspection. Okay? And Takan is part of that. Okay, let's move on to, I want to introduce a guest who's going to give us a Dharma glimpse today, Patty Kayo. And uh, she and her husband, Doug, went through the program together, uh, lay ministry program. At that time, they were living in um, Camarillo, which was uh, uh, down south in California in the L.A. area. Uh, and after they both were retired, they moved up to the beautiful Pacific uh, Northwest up in the Seattle area. And... So let us hear from Patty Kayo, which uh, I think she mentions this, but in her Dharma glimpse. But uh, as you know, um, all lay ministers who complete our program receive a Dharma name, uh, a bright dawn Dharma name. And the Dharma name consists of two characters, two written Chinese characters. And the second one is always the Yo, Y-O, which refers to um, the sun, to the bright dawn, the uh, sunrise. And then the first character is more personalized. Okay? So, for example, my name given to me, <laughs> being a minister's son, I received my Dharma name when, when I was born. It wasn't my so-called middle name, and this was true for a lot of um, my particular generation's uh, children, where the parents gave them a English name, first name, and then they, for their middle name, they had a Japanese name. Okay? And my Japanese name was Koyo, K-O-Y-O. And I never used this name for a long time until I became a, a minister and everything. And... um it means face the sun. Okay. Ko means to face toward, and the yo is okay, the bright dawn, the sun. And in fact, you know, it's kind of an unusual name. It's not like the Japanese equivalent of Joe or Frank or John. And I remember one time I went to, uh, this is when I. Uh, was was going to get married, and in those days, we got married uh, in California. The blood tests were mandatory, and I went to, and I didn't even, you know, I was a college student we are, uh, in the Bay Area, and I didn't have a, a, do, a family doctor. Okay? That was back in Chicago. So I just looked up a Japanese name, and I went to this Japanese doctor, and then when he was filling out his form and he saw my Japanese name, Koyo, and he goes, what's that mean? I said, oh, face the sun. And he looked at me and he says, are you a minister's son? 
And I was flabbergasted. I said, how did he know that from my name? Well, at the time, I didn't realize that. You know, it was kind of a unique name. And to face the sun, it has that uh, orientation of uh, kind of like a religious name. Okay. So anyway, when I gave Patty uh, uh, her Dharma name of Kayo, K-A-Y-O. Mine is Koyo, K-O-Y-O. But her Ka, her first written syllable, uh, Chinese written character there, it means home. And this is my impression after her two years in the program and everything, and her Dharma names, you know, she was a, uh, she was a mother. She had children. Okay. And I could tell that she was, uh, at being, a mother and a homemaker and so forth was a big part of her identity. Okay. Um, so her name means uh, home, a combination of home and son. A son that shines. And you could elaborate her on this any way you want. And of course, one of the functions of a Dharma name is to provide uh, a teaching, personal teaching. For oneself, you know. So home, son. Well, you can unpack that any way you want, and it could, it could, it could be a source, continu- continuing source over one's life about uh, what kinds of new teachings that might, you know, come out of it. Okay? What does that mean, home, son? Huh? A son, a son that's shining on a home. Physical house or something like this, or maybe she is the sun that's shining in the house. Huh? Well, anyway, I, I'm getting carried away on this, but Patty Cayo was going to give us a dime against today. Thank you, Reverend Coyo, and hello, everyone. My bright dawn Dharma name is Cayo, home sun. This is a fitting name for me, and now more than ever, I'm trying to live up to my name by focusing on maintaining a happy and healthy home. Since COVID-19 has rearranged everyone's usual way of living, our homes have become sanctuaries, sacred spaces that literally keep us safe. Many people are now forced to combine all aspects of living in their home. My husband and I have been retired for a few years in a small town in the Pacific Northwest, And isolation hasn't been as hard for us as for many people because we've had a head start. Our biggest change is only that we've had to stop traveling, but the daughter we were usually visiting in California now lives with us. When we realized in the early pandemic days what was happening but were still in a state of dazed disbelief, my husband, Doug Cuyo, printed out and posted on the kitchen chalkboard, Shikata Ganai, This Japanese phrase, which Reverend Koyo mentions often, means it can't be helped or nothing can be done about it. I would pass by the reminder and repeat it to myself in an effort to get my mind around the enormity of what was happening. This helped me accept that nothing could be done except what we were already doing and to transcend in order to help each other. My job was to make the best possible home And from our home base, we could engage in electronic hand-holding with friends and family. 
the other day I was walking around the outside of our home and I was reminded about a shift in my thinking that occurred a few years ago. Having been raised in a Southern California suburb for most of my life, my exposure to nature mostly came from fishing off the ocean pier every weekend. When we moved to Washington State, I found it necessary to get a pressure washer to hose off all the yucky moss from the boulders around our house. I did this for a few years. Then one day we were having moss removed from our roof, and there were huge piles of it all around the house. Our neighbor came over with a big empty trash barrel and asked if he could have a barrel full of the moss. I thought he was nuts. He explained that he put it in a blender with some buttermilk and made a puree to paint onto his rocks and boulders to encourage the moss to grow. The rest of the moss hunks he placed in his planters. What? This got my attention. As I opened my eyes and got past my negative preconceptions, I started to learn how revered moss is in these and many parts. Looking through a new filter changed everything. Now I see moss is beautiful. There are 12,000 known species of moss. It comes in so many colors and textures, and its tenacious perseverance is admirable. Moss grows very slowly. It takes patience. Moss is very adaptable. If the conditions aren't perfect at the moment for thriving, moss hangs out until circumstances are better. Now I laugh about how hard I work to scrub the moss off everything. Nature knows best. Let it be. Changing my filter helped me to see. In this time of COVID-19 uncertainty, where we are literally hiding out from the virus, unable to resume our usual activities, the moss can be a great teacher. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, <laughs> I have a lot. The theme of moss triggers quite a few uh, personal memories. Uh, <clears throat> moss plays an a important part in um, Japanese gardens. Uh, and moss uh, grows uh, really well when uh, um, the, the humidity is high. And in fact, we at our place at the, here at the Brighton Center, uh, we have many, many moss-covered boulders and stones and rocks. You know, I, I don't know exactly why, but you know we're in the so-called foothills uh, of the Sierra Nevada mountain range, and we're only about maybe thousand or fifteen hundred feet high. Uh, so it's at the foothills, uh, but the conditions are conducive to to moss to grow lichen and all these things. And uh, someone sent me a book on lichen and moss. And it is. There's a whole world of knowledge and information on moss. Um, But it is true that my father, uh, he was a professional landscape uh, gardener uh, by training. You know, a lot of Buddhist ministers from Japan, uh, like other occupations in Japan, 
ran in families. Um, I think more so than in other uh, in our in in America, Western uh, countries. Um, to some extent, children go into the family business or they're influenced and and so like that. But it's even you know, much stronger tendency in the East and in Japan in particular for um, the children to go to go into the their father's livelihood or in the similar aspects in some field. Um, and so it's not uncommon if you talk to a, a Buddhist minister from Japan and uh, ask him, well, why did, how did you become a minister? <laughs> it was because he comes from a minister's family. Okay? And his father was a minister. And his grandfather was a minister. And some of them go back, uh, you know, 14, 15 generations. Okay? Uh, and this is because I think in some other countries, uh, you need the connections. It's it's not it's not as easy to start and build something from scratch. Uh, like in America here, United States here, uh, there are many self-made stories and people. You know, there's a lot of freedom for people to go into fields for life occupation in all kind of ways. But it's very it's much different in and very established, uh, very old cultural societal places where uh, if you don't know somebody and, you know, built up from generations of your family background, uh, it's pretty hard to break into uh, a particular occupation, okay? Because uh, relationships have been forged over generations and they're not going to give their business to some newcomer when, oh, we've always used this vendor and things like this. So anyway, uh, my father was the first in the Kobosa generation to become a minister. And we did not come from a minister's family. Um, and, of course, there's all kind of pros and cons about uh that kind of situation uh, benefiting from, you know, family connections and so forth. But the, one of the potential downsides is it's not really a calling with the younger generation coming up. It's just expected to carry on. Okay. Uh, and so it could be kind of restrictive in a way. Okay. And it's not a calling in terms of the occupation. But it was a calling for my father. He was trained as a landscape gardener, and uh, he was in the Oakland area, in the Bay Area in California, and he had a couple of trucks, and he had some workers, and he had about 90 clients, and he took care of their, uh, their landscaping needs. Okay. Now, maybe this was an immigrant type of a situation where uh, in California here and maybe other parts of the country, Hispanic have kind of a, a dominance on uh, providing that kind of landscaping uh, service. 
Okay. They come in with their crew and they have a client list okay, and so forth. So the upshot is, the reason I mention it is because my father, he loved plants. <laughs> it was in his blood. He was how he was trained. And so whenever he visited any place, uh, visited another family in another part of the country, first thing he, he sees is their, is their <laughs> landscaping, their, their garden. Okay. And in fact, many times when he was a guest speaker visiting someplace, he might bring back a little plant. Okay. Uh, oh, well, look at this, you know. Dig it up and put some wet paper towel around the roots and put it in a plastic bag, bring it home. This was his, his love, his hobby. And he loved moss. And one of my cousin's uh, wife, uh, they were living in uh, northwest Seattle area. And uh, my father was asked to be a guest speaker over in the Seattle area. And so he was visiting with this family. And uh, Glenn, my, my cousin, I guess he wasn't home. And so his wife, Royce, uh, uh, was hosting my father, who was visiting and maybe even staying at their place which was close to where the, the the temple where he was being a guest speaker. And he came from Chicago, and he's over in the Northwest. And, and uh, uh, I visited uh, Glenn and Royce's place up in uh, Ludlow and uh, um, the area across the sound from Seattle. And there is a lot of moss there. Okay. And they had an old uh, shed, and the roof was thick with moss. And so Royce uh, wrote an article for our newsletter several decades ago, and she, with her experience of when she was showing my father around their property, he noticed this moss on the roof, and and he just you know, wow, look at this, and he was. And Royce wrote an article about it. And, of course, she said, why was he so excited? You know, it's just moss. <laughs> she said her title of her article was Synchronicity. And um, uh, it elicited some memories for me uh, with my father's background at the Buddhist Temple of Chicago, which is a, a city temple, urban, you know, neighborhood. And there's not much landscaping or garden area around uh, the temple. And there is a little patch here and there. And in one patch, uh, my father had, had a little project going of trying to encourage moss to grow in this little area. Just a small little area of encouraging some emerging moss to be healthy and spread and everything, you know. Uh, on such a small scale that was available to him, okay. 
because of the property. This is to be contrasted where in Kyoto, Japan, uh, which is a very traditional city and a lot of temples and shrines there. Uh, it's it's a must stop for tourists. Very traditional city. Uh, in fact, <laughs> as the as the travel guides go, there's over you know so so many hundreds of temples and shrines in the city of Kyoto that if you visited one every day, it take you several years to visit all the temples and shrines that are in the city of Kyoto. But one of them is called the Moss Temple. In Japanese, it's Kokedera. Koke means is a written character for Moss, and Dera or Terra means uh, temple. Okay. So Kokedera means Moss Temple. And indeed, if you go to this temple, uh, you know, which is set up to be a uh, tourist-type temple to visit, the grounds are just it is Moss Temple. It's a, because of the climate and everything there. Uh, moss all over, thick moss all over, and uh, it's quite common for me on our current property here uh, when I see our moss-covered uh, uh, um, boulders. It's not real thick moss <laughs> like at Coquedera, but um, it's quite prevalent, okay? And I have a book, and I tried to learn a little bit about moss, but uh, it's not for it's not for dabbling. You gotta, you're going to have to really study to become knowledgeable about moss. But the connection for me, the association is how my father loved moss, you know, and when I go out and work in our garden, our orchard, my vegetable garden, in fact, Adrian's father was a professional landscape gardener. And that was his profession. And he did have his truck, and he, uh, it wasn't a big operation. It was his family, you know, his own uh, company. Uh, his wife took care of the books and billing and so forth. And uh, by himself, he would have, I remember he would have a little transistor radio plugged into his ear and he'd make his rounds when he goes to work. Okay. And uh, so after Adrian's parents both had passed away and uh, we inherited uh, a lot of her father's gardening equipment and tools. So I use his shovels, his hoes, uh, you know, his different gardening tools. And so kind of a communion every time I go out and I see moss, I remember my dad and I'm using Adrian's father's tools when I'm working in my vegetable garden. Uh, that kind of generational Association is my takkan. My connection, my teaching about the role of generations, my place in it, my reality. Um, 
and all kinds of associate teachings come out of those kinds of associations. Hey, hey, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day. Thank you.